Well, good morning again. I would invite you to turn in your Bible to the book of Genesis, Genesis chapter 4. Genesis chapter 4, we'll begin reading in verse 17. We'll move through, uh, we'll get through the end of this passage today. At least that's our goal. Genesis chapter 4, I'll begin reading in verse 17. Cain had relations with his wife, and she conceived and gave birth to Enoch. And he built a city. And called the name of the city Enoch after the name of his son. Now, to Enoch was born Arid. And Arid became the father of Methuselah. Methuselah became the father of Methuselah. And Methuselah became the father of Lemek. And Lemek took to himself two wives. The name of the one was Ada. And the name of the other was Zella. Ada gave birth to Jabel, and he was the father of those who dwell in tents and was and with and have livestock. And his brother's name was Jubal. He was the father of those who played the lyre and the pipe. As for Zella, she also gave birth to Tubal Cain, the for a the forger of all implements of bronze and iron and the sister of Tubal-Cain was Nama. Lamech said to his wife Ada and Zella, listen to my voice you wives of Lamech, give ear to my speech for I have killed a man for wounding me and a boy for striking me. If Cain is avenged sevenfold then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. Adam had relations with his wife, and she gave birth to a son and named him Seth. For she said, God has appointed me another offspring in the place of Abel, for Cain killed Abel. To Seth, to him also a son was born, and he called his name Enosh. Then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we thank you for your word. Bless this word as it goes forth. Lord, just give us clarity. Uh, Lord, even for myself, I, I pray that you would use this in my heart, that we would glean things that would be helpful, that would be encouraging to us, that would prepare us to go into a world to glorify and honor you. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. There's two ways of measuring, measuring the health and progress of a society. Okay? So, so you're measuring that. And it, and it can be hard sometimes to measure these things. Because we look at a society and we think it's healthy. Well, how do we know that it's healthy? Well, there's a couple ways to measure that. Number one is materialistically. So we have material advances. And... Um, that would be infrastructure for a, a city, community, a, a country, a nation, something like that. Buildings, productivity. You would see um, a communication or long distance communication and transportation and, and the, the modern comfort, um, conveniences and, and eases and uh, scientific advances. And we look around and, and we see a pretty healthy society. 
we see, and we've come a long way, and we've, we've got it pretty good. The standard of living is pretty high if you look at it materialistically. I mean, you, you look at our houses and cars and cell phones and computers and refrigerators and sensual air units. Man, it makes life really good for us, really easy for us. And we enjoy these things today because of the hard work and the, the self-discipline of, and the slow, faithful uh, men and women of generations past who educated themselves and, and worked hard to build up society materialistically. And it's a good thing. And we have to think about this. What, are we, what we do today is going to affect the future of our children and grandchildren, whether we're building up or are we tearing down. And I think sometimes we lose that focus on the immediate. Now, so we measure society by the physical physical properties, physical progress, if we will. We become progressive in our thinking. We can't help but see it that way. I mean, that's just the way we, we see it. We, it's obvious the thing is, is we know that that's pretty shallow. It's not the, really the best way to, to measure society. It's not really the, even the most healthy element of society. Because we know the unrest in, that we have in society. I mean, even though you, you can have a, a beautiful house and a big house and all the comforts of a home, there can still be unrest in that home. Does it? You, you can have a, a beautiful home and still completely feel empty. And useless and unfulfilled. We, we can see that. We understand that. And we understand that because we know that we are, we are made for eternity. We are, uh, there's, there's more than just this physical life. We are made, we, we are spiritual beings. We're made for more than just this physical, this physical realm. And this physical realm will never satisfy our spiritual needs. It's just not going to happen. We weren't designed. It wasn't designed. This physical world wasn't designed for that. This physical world was never designed to satisfy us. It was designed to, to just glorify or display the glory of an invisible God. You know, just, just let that sink in. It was there. This physical world is to display the glory of an invisible God. That's, that's what it's there for. So this material advances in things. They, they're good and all, but they will never fully satisfy. And so people then uh, say, on, they'll also say, well, it's, it's not about the, the hard work and the discipline. No, it's about relationships. You, you judge it by relationships and kind of the pendulum swings. We were talking about this in Sunday school today. It's not the hard work. It's not the self-discipline. But it's about relationships. We need to, see the, to take, take it easy. And it's a, just about relationships and building relationships. But quite frankly, those relationships, they will never really fully satisfy us either. But again, they weren't designed to. They weren't designed. Now, don't get me wrong. We're built for relationships. And those things are very important to, in our life. But they were never designed to fully satisfy us. They, they just can't do that. In fact, what we will wind up doing is we will wind up using people and abusing people and draining people or dominating people if we think it's all about relationships. 
There's only one relationship that will ever full, fully fill us and satisfy us, and that is our relationship with God Himself. That, that's the only relationship that will satisfy. And we're built for that kind of relationship with God. Other people are there, they're to help, and, and, and we love one another, and we come alongside one another, and we enjoy those relationships, but they will never completely satisfy. So we can measure society by the, the, spirit, the, the physical elements, but we know we have to measure society by the, the spiritual elements, right? We, we understand that. That's not a, a stretch. The, the building on the, the landscape, the spiritual landscape, we see that God is in the middle and everything revolves around Him. He is the center. His righteousness is what we value and, and it, uh, it, it uh, gives us the emphasis in our life. So individuals, we, as individuals, we reflect His image within us. We reflect His glory within us and His work in us. And so sound theology then is lived out. And you have men and women calling upon the name of the Lord. You have parents that are structuring their families to uh, raise up godly children. And you have families functioning together in, in harmony so as to glorify the Lord. And then society then emphasizes the right uh, values, righteous values, God's values and priorities. And so we, we know that material, material uh, measuring of society is, is less important than the spiritual measuring of society. Now what's interesting, so you have these two, two elements. And what's interesting is that the way it, was, it is designed to work is that these two grow together. The incli- inclining of the, uh, and the, the progress of the material world should be in, co, uh, in, in coexistence with the spiritual incline. So you, so you have material uh, progress and you have spiritual progress in society. That's the way it should work. That's the way it, it, would, it would work in our mind. But we know that's not the way it works, is it? What you have, you can have an increase in materialistic uh, progress... And at the same time, spiritually, you see the, the society declining. And that's what we see in this passage today. That's, the, that's what's going on here. Moses is giving us the first 130 years of society here. Um, and he's showing us the progress of the material society, the first seven generations from Adam. And he's given us the material progress but the emphasis here is upon the spiritual progress. And we cannot, we cannot miss this. This is so important. Now we've seen in the past uh, couple of weeks, we've seen the origin of sin, Adam and Eve. We've seen the depth of sin. And we see that played out in, in Cain's life, in Cain's heart. And we saw that sin nature then transferred from one generation to the next generation, which is Cain himself. And it was passed on from Adam and Eve. And we see it in his rebellion against God when God comes and questions him. He, he rebels against God. We see it in the drama when God is pronouncing uh, punishment and the curse on him. We see it in his drama. We see it then ultimately when he just completely walks away from the Lord. We see that sinful heart. 
Uh, but in this passage today, not you don't see just the, the individual. You see the, the sinfulness permeating in a society. And, and you see the decline in a society. But I want you to notice that it's a slow decline. It goes a lot slower than you would think that it would go. And the question is, why is it, why is it not faster than that? And I believe a society's uh, spiritual element is controlled by God and, and He will put things into place. His hand of grace will be on a society, will, will hold back the acting out of that sinful heart. And He will hold that back by His grace. He puts things into place like family. Like government. And he will hold sin at bay. And by the influences of godly people, he will slow down the progress of acting out the sinfulness that's in the human heart. We, we know that it's there, but we're not as bad as we could be. Because we know it could be a lot worse. Now, that's the idea. Now there's a, a warning for us. Because I, I believe this is, this is just what we see in America here. We see... We see materialistic progress. And we see things are getting better and better. But, but really, spiritually, what do we see? Things are completely declining. And really what we see is a, a Romans 1 kind of situation. If you look at Romans 1, you see those people who are just completely ignoring God, suppressing the truth of God's Word. They're not honoring Him as God. They're suppressing uh, the truth and exchanging the truth of God for a lie. They're not giving thanks. They're, thanks. They're, they're not worshiping the Lord. They're, in fact, they're worshiping the, worshiping the creature rather than the creator. So what happens then in judgment, God gives them over to their own desires. Okay, you want to go down that direction? I'll let you go down that direction. The, those desires, those lusts, he, he says in, in Romans chapter 1. Those desires. So you pursue that road for a little bit. And what you see in Romans 1 is God then gives them over to degrading passions. Is the, is the terminology that's used. Degrading passions. Abnormal desires. Abnormal desires. Think that, that, that through. From lusts to abnormal desires. And then what? Ultimately, a depraved mind. They can't tell up from down, good from evil, right from wrong. They, they cannot dis- discern those things. Um, and what looks like progress in a healthy society, it, it, could, it can be completely spiritually declining, spiritual bankruptcy. And folks, I believe that that's where we are in America today. And it's, we're fooling ourselves and thinking that we're a great society, a good society, and we're improving when really the opposite is, be, is happening. As we see bankruptcy, we see debauchery. When I can read the, the paper and, and read this little statement that there is no sufficient way to clearly define what makes someone to be a woman. When I can read that in the newspaper, I think that's a depraved mind. When we are putting someone that's being nominated into the Supreme Court who cannot define what a woman is, I think, how in the world did we get to this point? It's foolishness. It's a depraved mind. 
God has just given us over. Oh, you, you want to pursue that? I'll let you pursue that. And, and then you see the decline, the decline of a, a civilization. And you have men wanting to be women. And you have women wanting to be men. How perverted, how degrading passions can you get before you get to be a just completely depraved mind? So, so therefore, the, the measuring of the society is not to be done outwardly. The materialistic progress of society and the success of society, but the spiritual dependence upon God. Society is, and that should be our... It should be on the, the screen there, is that we see society must not measure, be measured by the material success, but by righteousness. And we need to understand that there's a, 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 a clear distinction between the development of society in a materialistic way and the spiritual health of a society. Two different things, completely different things. And that's what we see, I think, in this passage. And I think that's what Moses is wanting us to see. He's laying this out for us. And, but the question for us is, is, what is the real evidence of progress in society? In fact, we can look at this passage. The more I look at it, I just, I think, how do we see the spiritual decline? How do we see that? And you'll see that. What does it look like? And you'll see those things in this passage. Because I think what you see is both the evidence of of material progress in a society, but also evidence of spiritual decline in the society. So let's look at this passage. And we see the first story, the place to start is, is Cain's city. Now, remember, this is still all about Cain. It's all about Cain. Cain's city in verse 17. This is Cain's contribution, if you want to call it that. Cain had relations with his wife, and she conceived. Now, the word is no. He knew his wife. <clears throat> That's an intimate, close relationship. And the outcome of that, the result of that is she conceived and gave birth to Enoch. And he built a city. That is, Cain built a city and, and called the name of the city Enoch after the name of his son. Now, you say, well, where did Cain get his wife? That's the old question, right? Well, we look over in chapter 5 and verse 4 that... Uh, uh, that Adam and Eve had other sons and daughters that were not recorded here in Scripture. So we, we see that. We see that laid out there in Scripture, that there were other children born to Adam and Eve. These are the most prominent. These are the ones that Abraham is, or I'm sorry, Moses is, is wanting, to, uh, wanting us to, to know. So he married a daughter of Adam and Eve, his sister, essentially. You say, well, how can he do that? Would there not be a genetic uh, deformities with that? Well, at that time, the gene pool would have been pretty broad. The reason we have genetic deformities today is because they, one scientist called it genetic uh, or gene decay as time goes along. And as uh, they, they, we can no longer inbreed, if you want to be graphic about that. There's no intermarriages because of that de- decline, that decay in the genetic pool. But at that time, there wouldn't have been that at all. But by the time you get to Moses in Leviticus chapter 18, we see that all close relationships, close marriages were forbidden in Moses' day. So Cain is building a city. He, he marries uh, one of 
Adam's offsprings, he's building a city. Now remember, Cain was to be a wanderer. One of the curses, the curse that Cain had is he could no longer plant a garden and it would yield for him. He just couldn't do that. So he's building a city. What is a city? Well, he, he called it Enoch. Enoch means initiation. Essentially, it's the first city. And that's, again, his contribution is, I'm going to build this city. A city is a place where a lot of people can dwell together in a close, close contact with each other. And, and to get the benefits of the skills and the abilities of each other. So I don't have to be a professional on everything. I can depend upon your skills and your abilities to do what you do, and I can benefit from that. So there's mutual dependence in a city. And that's a good thing. That's a good thing. There's nothing wrong with that. Um, also, another thing, element about cons- uh, cities is that they're centrally governed, centralized government uh, of a city. And probably, and this would have been key, I think, since Cain started the city, this would have been his city. His city. So he would have been the most prominent citizen. Of course, he would have been the oldest citizen as well. They would have looked up to him. Anybody that would come to that city would, would have to kind of pay homage to him. And he would have, definitely have, an influence in that city, right? We understand that. But also a city is a place of permanence. You, you dwell there. You stay there. It's not a place of wandering. He didn't have a tent wandering from place to place. He, he, was, he was there. And so what we see here is Cain's trying to, to mitigate or to lessen the, the curse that was placed upon him of having to wander. I'm not going to wander around like that. I'm going I'm to build a permanent city here. I'm going to stay here. And So what you see is, again, Cain is rebelling against God. And you see, and you read this whole passage and you think, where is God? God is completely out of the focus in this whole passage. He's virtually forgotten. Again, the focus is upon Cain and his city. And Cain is building this city, not for the glory of God, but in rebellion against God. And he is moving that city the direction he wants it to go. Now, let's think about this. Because I think there's a principle here. Cain grew up in a, a Christian home. He grew up with some godly influences. He knows better. He knows exactly what God says. But he's choosing to do just the opposite. He is rebelling against God. And he's going to be the influencer of this next generation. And Cain is still rebellion, rebelling. And, and how do you rebel against God? How do you attack God? You take His Word and you do just the opposite. Now folks, that's exactly what we see today. I think you have a whole generation that kind of grew up in Christian homes. They kind of know the Word of God. This is, this is America to the T. And they're rejecting that whole Christian heritage. They don't want anything to do with that. They're rejecting that. Any love for God. Anything that would be of, of, of honoring to God or pointing to God, they want to tear that down. And what do they want to do? Rebuild society. We can build it back better and stronger. 
And they're leading society. This is what we see in America today. Is we, they're leading society in, in a certain direction and not for the glory of God, but they're fighting against God. How are they fighting against God? They find out what God wants and they do just the opposite. Rebellion against God. How do you do that? You attack the family. God's builder of society. God's, God's pillar of society. God's foundation of society is, is the family. You attack the family. Fathers abandon their homes and, and attack the family with this idea of feminism. Patriarchy. You attack the church. Redefine God's word. The, the real question, and we see this in society. We see those things going on in society. The question is, what are you following? Who do you follow? Now, if you join Cain's little city, do you follow Cain? They just kind of go along with, with Cain, this rebel against the Lord? Or do you stand for righteousness? So we have to ask ourselves, who, who are we following today? In America, that's a prominent question. Who are we following? Are we following a, a group of people that have completely rejected God, won't any, doesn't want anything to do with God, cr- trying to rebuild the society in the name of somebody else or in their own name or whatever? Rebellion against God. So we see Cain's city. Let's look at Cain's offspring, his progeny, his uh, number two we see in verse 18, his children and grandchildren. Verse 18, how to... Now, to Enoch, and so we, we hear now the, the children and grandchildren of Cain. Now, to Enoch, remember the city was built, named after Enoch, was born Irid, and Irid became the father of Mahuzajel. Mahuzajel. Mahuzajel became the father of Methuselah, and Methuselah became the father of Lamech. So you see those generation. Now, the one that, that really stands out is, is Lemech. So he goes on and gives a little bit more. Lemech took to himself two wives. The name of the one was Ada. And the name of the other was Zella. Ada, she gave birth to Jubal. Or, I'm sorry, Jabal. Jabal, he was the father of those who dwelt in tents and with livestock. He invented a way to, to make, to take the hides of the skins of animals, put those things together and build a tent that wouldn't leak. And so he could, he could, uh, roll those, uh, this tent up and he can move along with the animals and graze from one place and graze, and graze that out and go to the other place and graze that out. So he can have more productive and, and, um, more healthy sheep and more healthy, um, livestock. So he is the inventor of that tent, basically. And that, that was a, a huge thing. Verse 21, his brother was Jubal. Jubal. And he was the father of those who played the lyre and the pipe. The musicians. And he perfected that. The, the wind instruments and the string instruments. He was an inventor of those things. Verse 22, as for Zella. Zilla, she was. She also gave birth to Tubal Cain, the forger of all implements of bronze and iron. So he is smart cookie. He starts mining this ore from the ground. He said, "Look at this, Dad. Let's put this under the heat and see what it does." And it melted. And man, hey, I can form this and shape this into smart cookie, smart guy. 
And, and they probably are mentioned here because they come along and, and they help to build this city. Part of Cain's progeny here. Um, now, what we see then is progress. It really is progress. This is good stuff. Um, and there's a point to be made here. I think that God allows progress in the society to be enjoyed by the whole of society. Not just for the saved or the unsaved. It's for the whole of society. And I think that's a good thing. The advancement of society. We all benefit from the computers. We all benefit from cell phones. Maybe. I don't know if we really benefit from cell phones. But we all benefit from this the, the technology that, that people are producing. It's a good thing. It's not a bad thing. Now, here's that's what you see in this in this passage. But what you don't see is cavemen. You really don't see that. You don't see men just eating hand to mouth, just 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 barely existing, eking out a, a living. You see intelligence. You see prosperity. You see these men thriving, men and women thriving. They're herdsmen, musicians, ironsmiths, making tools and, and weapons, building cities. These were no dummies here. Um, now, obviously, were there people living in caves? Oh, well, yeah, maybe if they're fleeing society or maybe uh, for one reason or the other, it's more convenient or whatever. But 6,000 years ago, folks, these were they were building cities. And I point this out because I think we have the wrong idea of, of, the, of the past. God's word says God made Adam and Eve and they were, they were pretty smart from the very beginning. And they were discovering, they were inventing, they were producing things. And, and for this reason, I, I like what Answers in Genesis is doing. If you go to the Ark of Calano, you, you see this huge ark and you see the technology that would have to go into building this ark. And then engineering that would go into building this ark that, that Noah would have had. They were smart. They weren't just dumb cavemen. There's one article I used to read. Uh, it was called Acts and Facts back in the day. This was back in the 90s. And I remember reading an article. They had found these little tubular things um, <clears throat> that looked like eggs, maybe a little larger than a, a chicken egg. And they... They open one of those things up, and inside those things, of course, they're petrified, but what they, they find inside is all of the same components that we would find in a modern-day battery. I think, wow, that's amazing. These were, they were smart people before the flood. They were not dumb. And, and what you conclude from that is that the Word of God re, rings true. This is a, a true word. The, the, the Bible informs us of these things and we look back and and it's reaffirmed when we look into archaeology and i would encourage you get to that ark encounter get to that ark uh, that uh, creation museum those christian scientists have really done a, a very good job at laying all of these things out so we see cain's um uh city then we see cain's progeny now let's look at cain's influence here in verse 23, Lamech said of his wives, Ada and Zillah, listen to my voice, you wives of Lamech, keep heed to my speech, for I have killed a man for wounding me 
and a boy for striking me. And I'll, let's stop right there. He puts it in, there's two different phrases there, but in uh, Hebrew poetry, you, you bring those two phrases together and they produce one idea. And, and the idea is that, that he was out, someone attacked him, tried to maybe hurt him or maybe even accidentally wound him, and he reacted and it says, it says, I, I killed a man, killed a man. In verse 24, it goes on to say, if Cain is avenged sevenfold, then Lamech seventy-sevenfold. Now, what you see here is just a blatant violation of God's design. God's design for marriage and God's design for life. And what you see is spiritual decline. So Moses gives us the, the increase, the, the, the betterment of society, but then we also see the decline, the spiritual decline of this. And he, it's first God's attack or God's uh, design for marriage, and, and Limic attacks this, I think intentionally. And he has two wives, two wives. It goes against what God said that uh, man, uh, man and his wife, and they dwell together and they, for one lifetime, one man, one woman. For one lifetime. That's God's design. Limic takes two. Ada is a, the word Ada is a, means ornament. Zilla means symbol, instrument. Maybe she was, maybe she was a musician, musical. This is just bigotry. This is, this is a blatant disregard for God's design for the family. And he knew what he was doing, knew exactly what he was doing. And that heart's becoming exposed here. He, he then probably gets wounded, maybe a little hurt by someone, and, and he overreacts and he kills that person. That's what we see. I, I believe it was uh, out, of, uh, out of proportion for the act that was committed to him. This was not a, a tit for tat. This was not a um, uh, you... Uh, just a, a reaction here, or, or not a uh, 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 slapping my hand and I'll slap your hand thing. This is a, a blatant disregard of God's God's graciousness in life. This is a, a vengeful thing. In fact, it would be in the category of murder. It was murder. This was an overreaction and vindictive. And then he turns it into a song, a public thing. And he sings it to his wife, his wives, and he, he pronounces to his wives that you don't have to worry about my safety because if anybody tries to avenge me, I will react and I will uh, react sevenfold against that person. So I believe this is a, a song that's probably sang publicly and, and maybe even a, in celebration. And he's mocking. The debauchery here, seventy times seven. This is this is not an eye for an eye, but this is worse than that. He, he killed the person, and this is a declaration of him killing the person, and he's kind of justifying it in front of everybody else. And it's kind of a threat: if you try to kill me, I will avenge my own death. So don't try to kill me. And what we see here is a hardened heart, isn't it? Just plain hardened heart before the Lord. And it's on a public display against God. There's no shame here. 
And we would equate this. Now, listen, you you need to understand this would be a, a landmark case. That's what we would call it today. This would be precedent. And this stuck. This would be like Roe versus Wade. That, that, that time in the past that just set the course for a whole society to go down a, a certain road. This was, this was this man. This was the guy who had the courage to stand up and probably do what other people were doing. They're just ashamed to do it. And, and he, and you could see that drift in society maybe. And he just stood up and says, I'm not going to maintain those rigorous structures or that, uh, restriction on my life anymore and he's going to come out and blatantly take a stand against God. That's what you see. That's what you see. It's kind of a landmark a landmark case. A flagrant disregard of God's design. Disregard for marriage, disregard for for life, human life in general. And what it does, it does, it sets the course of society instead of being a forgiving society it's now a society of, of force, force and domination. In Matthew chapter 19, Christ told his people that there would be forgiveness, that we live by forgiveness. Now, folks, this is exactly what we see today. We have landmark decision after landmark decision. We see, let's take prayer out of school. Let's take the Bible out of schools. Those, those important things. Let's have a gay pride parade. And they set the course for a whole society. And all it takes is, is one person. All it takes is one Supreme Court nominee. And you, 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 it speeds up then the debauchery in a society. And that's what you see. A landmark decision after landmark decision after landmark. And you see a, a downward spiral. That's what's going on here. So you see Cain's city, his progeny, his, uh, his influence, and obviously he was in, uh, uh, Limic was influenced by Cain and what Cain had done. But here's the good news. This is verse 25. We see Cain's, I might say Cain's opposite, or Cain's opponent in verse 25. Adam had relations with his wife again, and she gave birth to a son. And named him Seth, for she said, God has appointed me another offspring in place of Abel, for Cain killed Abel, or Cain killed him. To Seth, to him also, a son was born, and his, and he called the name of his name Enosh, that's with an SH at the end. Now listen to this next phrase, this is the last phrase. Then men began to call upon the name of the Lord. Love that statement. And this is just kind of an abrupt shift. Why does, why does Moses do this? He's, he's chronicling the, the spiritual decline in, in the limic, just pushing this forward in society. And then all of a sudden you, you flash back. You, you almost forget about, Cain, uh, Abel, um, you forget about, uh, Adam and Eve. There's a, a flashback here. But this is clearly reminding us of the passage that's on the screen here. Genesis chapter 3 verse 15. And I will put enmity between you and the woman and between her seed and your seed. We're remembering back that that God has promised a redeemer. And so for Adam and Eve, this would have been hope. Maybe this is the one. 
Maybe Abel or Seth is the, is the one that's going to replace Abel and this line of a redeemer will come through here. And it's showing that God sees the same thing. God sees the same thing. Cain is no longer the heir of the family blessing here. Seth has taken, taken that spot. And maybe through Seth's line there will be a, a redeemer. So you see hope. You see hope here. Something happened in this seventh generation. This would have corresponded with that same time of those of Cain's progeny and the same something happened in that seventh generation. We don't know exactly what. But God responded. And it seems like God is responding to the spiritual decline of society. And how does he respond? How does he respond with men just fighting him and fighting his standards? How does he respond? He raises up Men and women. That's what he does. And we forget about Adam and Eve. And they're producing these children over here. The, a godly influence. All the focus is upon Cain and what's going on over here. And Adam and Eve are teaching humility. Teaching reverence for God. Teaching and establishing a, a functioning home where God is the center. And they're teaching their children. Being productive members of society. Maybe people have forgotten that, fallen away from what God had commanded. God is no longer the focus of society. And that's what sin does. It causes us to look in on ourselves, self-centered and arrogant, selfish, using other people, dominating over other people. And you see the decline in society until what? Until God raises up a, a man, raises up a generation. And, and what did they do? They called upon the name of the Lord. Oh, people. That's what we have to have today. Men and women who call upon the name of the Lord. Say, how do you do that? How do you do that? Calling upon the name of the Lord implies brokenness, doesn't it? I have to recognize, oh Lord, we don't have it within ourselves. It, it implies um, a desperate need within ourselves that we need help for the Lord. He is the only one that can save us. Oh, Lord, help us. It implies a shift in priorities, a change of life and a realignment of priorities. Lord, we've been going down the wrong road. We need to call upon your name. It implies faith in God Acknowledging Him. Leaning on His understanding instead of leaning on our own understanding. It it implies a recognition of His authority over our life. It implies giving Him the glory. Calling on the name of the Lord. You have men, a generation of men, crying out for the Lord. Men standing against the the decline of a nation. Standing and saying, as for me and my house, we're going to serve the Lord. As for me and my house, we're going to be righteous. And this is the good news for us. that, That God sees the same thing we see. We look at America and our hearts break. But we know that God sees and He will raise up a generation. He will raise up godly men. I believe in every generation that will serve, will serve Him, that will stand, that will be salt and light. In spite of the decline. 
And what happens then? God uses that generation to retard, to slow down, slow down the working out of the sinful nature within me. Slows it down. Slows it down. Man left himself, forget God, goes deeper and deeper into sin, but God promised. God promised. There's going to be a seed. There's going to be a redeemer. In fact, as we see society declining, we know, we know that God sees the same thing. And we can take courage that He's going to raise up godly men. And I call the men of Daniel's Bible Church, Oh Lord, may we cry unto You. And we stand together as families and we call upon the name of the Lord as we see, man, we've got a great society here. Everything looks great, but we know it's becoming bankrupt. It's, it's, it's completely debauched, given over to depraved mind. Oh, may the Lord raise up godly men. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, I thank You for Your Word. Thank You for the encouragement. I pray, Lord, that You would that you would work through your word. May we have a, a new generation that is not afraid to stand with Joshua and say, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord in spite of the cultural decline, in spite of what's going on around us, Lord. Lord, give us wisdom and strength to be able to do so. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.